The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to a very special episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. We're the podcast that re-examines the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. But wait a minute, this isn't a Wizard Magazine, it's the convention guide for Comic Fest 93? So why are we covering it? Well, because the program for this event was published and promoted by Wizard Magazine, and we're nothing if not obsessive about giving you complete coverage of the guide to comics. But before we pay our fee to enter the Philadelphia Civic Center, allow me to introduce you to our crew of con men tonight. Wondering what the heck Gumby has to do with comics and why he is an advertised main attraction of this convention. I'm Adam. And willing to pay any fee for a ride in the original Batmobile. I'm Steven. And joining us tonight is a VIP listener who actually attended this convention in 1993 and has the pictures to prove it. Please welcome to the show Dean, a.k.a. Revenger Lamar. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're excited to have you. You're obviously very involved in our social media for a long time, and we actually talked about this way back when, and you spilled the beans that you were there. So this is I, this is really strange to say, but I've been more excited about this episode than any we've done in a long time, and I didn't even attend the event, but every piece of history I pull up on it, I'm just like, whoa! So we know you were there at the convention, but we don't know why. So Dean, we have to go back to the beginning to understand how comics entered your life so please tell us your origin story well like most kids i watched super friends and spider-man and his amazing friends but my first comic book experience was at a barber shop the barber had a beat-up copy of green lantern 186 and had the this group of people called the demolition squad on it it was really cool but then Most of the comics experience I had until about 1988 were G.I. Joe or Transformer comics. Then about 88, the neighbor kid had Classic X-Men number 10, instant hooked. (laughs) And next thing you know, by 92, I was getting, I want to say I had at least 2,000 comics at that time. Whoa! Wow. Uh, There was a guy I worked with at this hotel he kind of reminded you of Jim Morrison from The Doors. And he'd say, hey, you read comics, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, dude, here, I'll sell you mine. So, like, every time I got paid or every time I got some tips, I ended up giving him the him for, like, I must have picked up about another thousand comics from him. I probably spent about $100. Whoa. And I got some good stuff at that with that. But by 94, um, I did a count. I don't know how right I was, but I said, I think I might have had about 5,500. And at that time, I was buying anything comics. I mean, I had the Super Friends comics that was part of the Whitman imprint under DC. And you just don't even see that in price guides. And where were you finding them mainly? There was a couple comic stores in the area that I lived. Like I said, I got them from that guy secondhand. And there was every so often I'd see them at yard sales or or at this one farmer's market and stuff like that. I'd buy them there. 
That's pretty great. And by 94, they all got sold in what I called the purge of 94. <laughs> uh, long, horrid story where my mom's boyfriend sold them all for 300 bucks. Oh, um, no. no. But there's a silver lining to all this story. Now, I don't, I'm usually more pickier about my books. And as of right now, I'm somewhat stable with what I have, but. As of right now, I think I'm at 3,500. Oh. <laughs> so of the 5,500 that were sold, what were some like key books in there that you recall that really stood out to you? Maybe that you got from Jim Morrison or whoever else? The ones that I really liked the most were X-Men 59 and 58, which was uh, a Sentinel story. Both series of Dark Horses, Aliens versus Predator. Yeah. And the regular Alien series, then a couple Predator series. There was one of a series called Grimjack. Yeah, I've heard of that. It was put out by First Comics. Tim Truman and you guys talked about John Ostrander. Yeah. They were both writers and artists on it. So that's one of the reasons I got that because here it turns out Tim Truman's a local guy in this area. So I can't remember all this other stuff I had. Like at that, at that time before then, I was like heavy into the X titles and I had a subscription to both X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor and Excalibur. Whoa. But I was still picking up X-Force and Wolverine in the comic stores. I didn't have as many Valiant as I do now. Image was just starting up. So I got the first couple sets of those before Comic Fest 93. That was at a, like a little rinky-dink convention. I think it was more baseball cards than anything at that one. My parents took me to that one with my brother, but that was about a year before this all broke down. Okay. Well, yeah, well, let's let's get into that then. You mentioned Comic Fest 93, and, you know, like we said, uh, Wizard Magazine began promoting Comic Fest 93 back in issue number 20 as, quote, the largest comics and collectible convention ever staged in the United States. It was taking place from October 8th through October 11th in in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was advertised as $12 for an adult ticket, $7 for kids, and any kid six and under were free. Now, from the get-go, the first ad, DC Comics, Marvel Comics, Image Comics, Malibu Comics, and Skybox Trading Card Companies were announced to be in attendance, with the promise of many more to come. And so that's a pretty big deal for a convention that didn't exist before to get those huge profile names. Additionally, Wizard, why they were so excited about it apparently was that it was the first annual wizard fan awards were going to be held they also said there was a chance to meet crystal the wizard spokesmodel in person and other events to look forward to interestingly enough I, I as i was looking in there they also announced the comic fest expo which was a comics industry trade show where like dealers could hobnob with all the major publishers and collectibles manufacturers before the convention was actually open to the public but that was the first First we heard, and then more to come. What can you tell us about the later ads, Stephen? Later, in another ad, uh, the details of comics professionals attending began to roll in, with guests including Todd McFarlane, Neil Adams, Jim Shooter, Peter Laird, who, as we know, was the co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Wendy and Richard Peeney of ElfQuest fame. New companies promised to attend included Defiant, Upper Deck, 
Toy Biz, Tops, Mad Magazine, Archie Comics, and Harvey Comics. Other promised attractions were a Gumby exhibit featuring original sets and models, sneak previews of TV and movies, Japanimation Theater where you could watch Astro Boy, Speed Racer, and more, and even a role-playing game tournament. Plus the promise that every attendee will receive a complimentary gift bag with valuable promotional items. <laughs> so we will pull you on that soon enough, Dean. Finally, Wizard actually included an eight-page preview guide to the convention in an issue of the magazine, announcing that every attendee would get a free copy of the Birth of the Defiant Universe preview booklet of all the different comics they were going to be producing, and the first 4,000 people to purchase a four-day pass would receive a special limited edition version of the booklet that included uh, special Defiant trading cards that wouldn't be available anywhere else and new special guests added and announced included Eric Larson John Bogdanov and Joe Jusko. Also included in the very back was a coupon you could clip out to redeem for a free Ultraverse gift at the Malibu Comics booth during the convention plus Ooh. there was an order form included if you wanted to buy your tickets ahead of time. So Dean this is where we gotta start getting the details from you. Tell us how did you find out about the convention and decide to attend i saw promotions for it like i was getting wizard magazine usually when it came to stuff like as like it's too far away it's like um i don't think i'll get a chance to go there blah blah it's not gonna happen that's okay i'm not gonna cry no tears over it but then when my friend says hey my dad can take us and go see it would you go and i'm like yes <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. So it was him, his brother, his brother's friend, and our one other friend. They spent the night before the show, and I was bouncing off the walls about this. I don't know if I slept the night before because I was really excited. Then we went over to his house and drove to Philly, and we get to the convention center. It was like we walked in the door, and there, coming towards us, was this giant guy in a suit of Bad Rock from Youngblood. Wow. Walking towards us, talking, saying something, being a smarty or something or other. Because <laughs> here there were these kids making fun of him, saying, Why weren't you called Bad Rock? Why'd you change your name? Why are you called Bad Rock now? <laughs> and it was like, Whoa, that was awesome. Instantly, I'm like overwhelmed. I did not know what I was going to be expecting that day. That is a great introduction, man. That was the big thing on, on Bad Rock, too. That was all we ever talked about. And I will mention, in issue 28, we are going to get the full story on the Bad Rock to Bad Rock change. So that's just a little tease for all of you. And when episode 28 comes out, the full story is there. Now, Stephen, you're someone who has enjoyed some conventions yourself in your time. So I'm just curious for you, like a first convention experience, what was that for you in your neck of the woods? So mostly they were all on Long Island because my dad... I did not want to go into the city on his day off to take me to a convention. And they were always in like hotel conference centers, you know, like Hilton's and Marriott's. It was maybe 10 tables with a bunch of dudes selling comic books. Uh, I want to say I started going in like like late 93, early 94. And I, I remember one of the first ones I went to, I picked up my first comic book from the 1960s. And I was so excited. It was Tales to Astonish number 91 with like Hulk and Abomination on the cover. And there's a picture of me holding it. And why I remember this is it was the day of the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan Olympics. 
<laughs> so my dad took us to the convention, and my dad was always bored at these conventions, but it was very nice of him to take us. And then we we went home. I'm looking through my pile of comics, and we've got you know the Tanya Harding Olympics on in the background. And then, as I've mentioned in the show before, I went to conventions in really weird places. There was one in like a Discovery Zone back room. So, you know, the kids were out there playing in the ball pit and you got a bunch of weirdos in the back with tables and toys. But my first like big convention in the city was in the year 2000. I went to a convention in Madison Square Garden. Uh, specifically because Adam West, Yvonne Craig, and Frank Gorsham were going to be there. And that was my first big deal convention where I got to go see, you know, Q&As with writers and Adam West. And that was a big one for me. Yeah, that's great, man. That's pretty neat. My first convention, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I actually went to the San Diego Comic-Con in 96, I believe was the year I went. So that was like my introduction, just like the big show. I was overwhelmed for sure. But I've mentioned this before. I was only on the hunt for McFarlane Kiss action figures (laughs) and Kiss bootleg (laughs) concert videos, which were sold there as well. That's all I walked away with that day that wasn't from like the free merch table which i filled up a whole bag of free merch and buttons for cole the conqueror and like kevin sorbo <laughs> like so it's just it was nonsense but yeah and then eventually I, would, I did go to the phoenix comic-con many years later and had a lot of fun at that show as well but i really want to get into this because i want to i want to experience comic fest 93 through your eyes dean now the one thing that i'll note is that obviously wizard many people these days that don't even remember Remember Wizard Magazine, know the Wizard World conventions. That eventually became the huge moneymaker for their business model. It's unclear how financially involved Wizard was in the planning of this event, but given how much they promoted it and were involved in the creation of the program and were holding events, it's safe to say Garib Seamus probably made some cash on the deal, unless he was just counting it as great promotion for the magazine. But maybe one of these days when we talk to Brian Cunningham, he can clarify that for us. But now I say it's time we get on to the floor for the real con experience. Now, for you, Dean, when you heard about it, what was the main attraction for you? Like you said, you didn't know what to expect after you run into Bad Rock. But when you were staying up all night, what did you think you wanted to do at this convention? I had no clue. It was like I said, this was my first really big convention. And I kind of wanted to go see Jim Lee or McFarlane, I was completely unprepared. I don't remember even spending that much money when I was there. I picked up a lot of freebies. I know somewhere, like when we walked in, went over to the Marvel table, had to go to the Marvel table first, and there they had pins. And somewhere in one of my pin jars is a what I call my Santa Spidey. It's a Spider-Man head with a Santa Claus hat on it. And then there was a Ghost Rider pin. It was just the Ghost Rider head pin. I picked up that and then they had you could get a picture with one of the costume characters and I lost the picture. I lost the picture. I wish I could find it. I don't know where I have it, but it was a me with Spider-Man doing the classic Spider-Man web shooting pose. Awesome. Well, now here's the thing, Dean. So you have shared with us, you did get a lot of photos with the costume characters. So did that become your favorite part of the convention ultimately? Yes. Yes. I really like that was really neat seeing these people dressed up as these costume characters. It was really funny because... My one friend, 
was him. We're walking around, and this I guess this was about the same time that uh, Marvel UK was starting to hit, hit it big. Mm-hmm. And they had this guy dressed up as Death's Head, too. And the costume was superb. We're here walking. I'm like, hey, Death's Head, too. Can I have a picture? All of a sudden, he grabs my buddy and says, come here, girly boy. <laughs> I take a picture. Well, I get the pictures. I'm so upset about this to this day. It's just a picture of my friend in this really wild pose. Like, he's like, ah! no picture of Death's Head. <laughs> It's like cut off. You just barely see a horn. And it's like, no, my friends are, they still yell at me for that. Well, the good news is, Dee, that I was able to do some research and find quite a bit of video footage of this event. I mean, it was well documented, luckily. And so I actually did find a picture of the Death's Head 2 costumes. But let me tell you, these these are some of the promised costume characters in the ads. They said you could meet Spider-Man, Wolverine, Ultraman, Vampirella, Spawn, Archie, and many more. But the many more, as I started watching more and more video footage of the event, here's the characters I spotted, okay? So, Captain America, Robocop, the SWAT Cats, if anybody remembers that cartoon, Zealot and Grifter, Fred and Barney from the Flintstones, some FemForce characters. I don't know FemForce well enough to actually know the character names, but I recognize their outfits. Hard to miss them. Shadowhawk, Mantra, Gumby, Vogue from Youngblood, or Brigade, or one of those, I don't know what book Vogue was from. Crystal, aka, as they called her in the video, Wizard Girl, and, quote, sports babe who was representing the collector's sports look magazine that garib shavis was just launching i can only assume plus in the mix of just cosplayers i spotted a pair of gals dressed as sylvestri era rogue and miss marvel which was so cool so as i listed off those names how many of those do you recall getting pictures with and running into there was a mantra I did get a picture, but unfortunately, my thumb covered up her face. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't happy about that. I saw Wolvie. I got a picture with Captain America, which I've sent you guys. Yeah. You got very friendly with Vampirella. How was that meeting? Yeah, I saw that. That was was, my friend said, Dean, you were so nervous around her. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was. I mean, here's a half-naked woman in front of me. I'm like, <laughs> Her costume was spot on. There was a the Spawn, and Spawn was walking around with Batman. Because I guess at this time, it was they were starting to promote the Spawn-Batman crossover. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that was, like, one of the biggest things. Like, especially, he was around the both either the Batmobile or the Spawn funny car with a maquette life-size of the Violator. Yeah, that was a cool picture you sent us. That's great. That was really creepy seeing that like that. <laughs> then my friends, Steve and Gabe, they got a picture with Yogi Bear. Whoa. It <laughs> was walking around there. There was probably some that I saw. I just can't remember yeah, no, I mean, that's, like I said, you got so many pictures. We're going to be excited to share all your pictures with all our social media followers because they are fantastic. You guys are going to love them. Steven, why don't you tell us about some of the other events that were taking place during this time? 
so Jim Shooter held a how to write comic seminar, and there was a debate between Todd McFarlane and Peter David regarding whether Image got a fair shake in the media, with Peter David having written many articles criticizing them in his column in CBG, the Comic Buyer's Guide. This is why Todd was wearing a towel on his head and no shirt that I did ask you about in episode 27. So I actually, in my research for the show, I found an old Usenet report on the event where somebody was just like jotting down, this is what was happening. And so this is how they explained the Todd McFarlane situation, Stephen. Todd McFarlane stepped up to his podium in a cap, towel, and shorts, mimicking a prize fighter. And I'm fairly certain that it was the Rocky theme he intended to have blaring through the radio that did not work for him. His opening <laughs> remark was somewhat coherent, if rather irrelevant at times, he seemed to handle the public well, but it was clear from the start that his statements needed more thought behind them. Then it mentions a guy in a bedrock, they said bedrock, from Youngblood suit and four LA Rams cheerleaders entered during Peter David's opening statement and gave a short cheer for Todd once Peter was done. What? <laughs> yeah, so that was like the, this, this showdown. And they mentioned the whole uh, review was saying that Peter David seemed to not be taking it so seriously, making a lot of jokes, and maybe Todd was trying to be as serious as he could be but wasn't as competent and so it was pretty funny because I'll just mention one of the main discussions the focus of Peter's attack on image was centered on McFarlane Liefeld and Larson there was the now famous reference where Peter explained that he openly criticizes his own bosses at Marvel and that others leave the company and do it anonymously at which point Eric Larson flicked him off from the audience <laughs> The thrust of Peter's criticism was that the three do not think before they act and generally say stupid things. <laughs> I mean, I gotta agree with Peter David there. And, and that was actually the ultimate uh, decision from this guy who was sitting in the audience. Is he said that, yes, Peter David definitely won the debate. Todd McFarlane did his best to hold his own, but mostly was just rambling about stuff, trying to get a reaction. Dean, did you hear anything about this debate? Were you aware of it? No, I don't know what when it happened or what day it was. So did you sit down for any of the actual like seminars or anything that was going on in other rooms or did you just walk around most of the day? We were walking around most of the time. There was one time we were we were sort of getting a little tired of walking. We did stop and walk into one of the Japanese animation rooms. Okay. And sat down for a bit. We caught this one anime movie called Gal Force 2 Destruction, which was really, really good. I, I really liked it. It was one of those really dark type animes. And I think I saw a little bit of the Bubblegum Crisis, too, the original. Yeah, we missed all the seminars. My best friend's dad, who took us, he went and got a signed piece of artwork from Beetle Bailey creator Mort Walker, we are walking around past the image booth, and there's Garib with Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> I want this is this is good. This is good. That picture I showed you guys. I yell, "Hey, Garib!" to him. He turns around, grabs Crystal. Crystal's like, "What?" Boom! Take the picture. <laughs> that was it. That was because he was so he had a busy line going on. It was the. It was like. No disgust look on his face. No, like, hey, you got to pay for that or anything like that. It was just pure magic. That's so awesome that you got you got that moment. That was one of the highlights of the day. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the uh, that that picture's pretty funny. I'll, I'll only mention because he is wearing a baseball uniform because obviously he was very big on his collector's sports look trading card magazine that he was wanting to promote. And yeah, then Crystal's there with him. But I think they must have had different crystals throughout the weekend because I have been tracking the different crystal photos and I see, I noticed the Comic Fest logo in different places, but each time it's a different crystal. There was like a, you know, a lighter brunette, but it was like almost blonde crystal. And then there was the gal that you got the picture with. She's got more curly hair. And then in the interview that they did on the comic book show with Crystal, it's a totally different dark haired girl. And they made the mistake of asking her like, hey, what comics do you read? <laughs> oh, I don't read comics. You know, <laughs> like, so never ask any spokesmodel or actor in a superhero movie. If you are a journalist, what comics do you read? Because they do not read comics, I'm telling you. <laughs> So just just a word of advice. But yeah, so that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, that's a wonderful moment. We always love the Garib stories. So, Like I said, this was my first convention, and I wanted to just soak in all the atmosphere itself. You just had the one day to make the most of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you, know, you mentioned earlier the Spawnmobile. You mentioned the 1966 original Batmobile, as they stated. So you got some pictures with those. Would you remember, like, the protection they had around those cars? Did they let you get close or ride in them, like sit in them? Well, the Spawn car was that had ropes around it. You could take pictures of it, but that was about it. The Batmobile had about the same same sort of thing going on. That was the first time I've seen the Batmobile in real life. A couple years ago, I don't know if it was because they say there's six of them, six or seven of yeah. them out there. About 10 years ago, we went to a, convent, a little small rinky-dink convention up a couple miles from my house. And they had the Batmobile there. And for, I think it was like 20 or $30, you could sit in it. My kid got to sit in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's, what I, that's why I asked, because in the picture you sent us, there is a kid sitting in the driver's seat of that Batmobile. So I wonder if they had a similar deal. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, Steven, you've had some run-ins with the Batmobile in your day, so tell you're a big Batman 66 fan. What has been your experience? The first time I saw it was at the 2005 Chiller Theater Convention. They had the Batmobile and the Black Beauty from Green Hornet kind of side-by-side side on the lawn, and you could take pictures with them. And I believe oh. Adam West, Julie Newmar, and Burt Ward were there that year, uh, and they were just charging way too much for me to pay by that point. Uh, and then uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, uh, the Bob's Big Boy restaurant in, in Toluca Lake has a classic car night every Friday. And all these L.A. gearhead car guys show up. And there was always a Batmobile in that parking lot. So any chance I got, I would go look at that Batmobile. But the weirdest one was, you know, when I moved out of my parents' house, they were telling me that there was a car wash opening up on the corner that, you know, used to be a gas station. And they, they, they kept talking about this car wash. And then they were like, they have the Batmobile at this car wash. <laughs> so sure enough, like down the block from my parents' house, the owner of this car wash owns a Batmobile and would just periodically take it out, drive it around to try to get promotion. And it was a 1966 Batmobile. So like, mm -hmm. as, so you know, as a kid, that would have been my dream to walk down the street and see a 66 Batmobile. Yeah. And then, yeah, so that was... 
that was the those were like my three big experiences with the car that's pretty amazing yeah I, I have not run into it in my lifetime but yeah the fact that it shows up in so many places makes me suspect about how many original batmobiles are there really but it's it's pretty cool the most the the car i see most often are just the replica you know ecto-1 ghostbusters cars like that's what seems to show up at all the car shows that i see around me so either way i'll, I'll take those if i can the local ghostbusters fan clubs now interesting Interestingly, as we move on here, uh, they actually have some articles in this souvenir program guide. You know, it's Wizard Magazine, after all. And there is an article covering the burgeoning market for autographed comics. And basically, it's giving advice to comic store owners on what they should consider when they hold such events. Concepts like line control and limiting the number of items to be signed. They said some people in these early days were literally bringing full long boxes full of comics expecting all their books to be signed and there wouldn't be like a posted like two item limit so technically they would have to do that and hold up the line like oh my god yeah i can't imagine why would you why would you just i mean did they have like a dolly they were pulling it around on like how could you carry a full log box <laughs> you didn't see anybody like that did you dean on the floor there with long boxes no yeah. i did not see that my friend's brother he brought the michelangelo teenage mutant ninja turtles christmas special to get signed by um, peter laird oh and in fact he had a picture i took a picture of him holding it up with the autograph and all that kind of stuff and i'm like wow but i didn't bring anything to get signed i didn't even think about getting anything signed but from what i could tell people if they were getting stuff signed even though the lines were like long 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 that i did not get a chance to even wait in line to meet whoever now you did spot a few though didn't you 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 saw some yeah. some comics pros out there yeah we walked past the image line was 50 or 60 people around the corner most of the guys that I saw, they had maybe two or three things. Because of that, I was like, no, I'm not going to take the time to get something signed because that'll waste time from looking at the other stuff. When I went through Artist Alley, I thought I took a picture of a couple of them. I know I got one, and that was uh, Pat Broderick. And he was the artist on on uh, Captain Adam for DC in the late 80s. And then I think he went on to Marvel, and I want to say he did um, Doom 2099. Oh, that's right. You're totally right. Yeah, I'm reading that right now on the, the mini episodes. And yeah, you're right. I didn't even connect that. That's awesome. And uh, that was the that was the picture. I, I saw him like, hey, I know who you are. You're Pat Broderick. You did this and this and this. And he's like, yeah, can I, can I get your picture? And the girl that was sitting with him, I guess it was his wife, she gave this look like why do you want a picture of him? <laughs> because it's awesome. I bet you made his day right there. Cause he's yeah, not a household yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was neat. And then you, you obviously you snapped a, a side profile picture of Todd McFarlane uh, at his line yes. as well. So we'll, we'll yes. share that. That's a fun one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how that kind of played out that, you know, like you said, a, a lot of people were probably there just to see the image guys. So their line is obviously going to be the longest. And uh, mm -hmm. I know Eric Larson was there and Todd McFarlane was there. So they were a big deal. Now, speaking of all these comics professionals and artists alley and all of that. So in this booklet here that wizard 
produced. They have a section that are their featured guests. So they, that's like the A-listers, okay? And so they have people like, uh, you know, Neil Adams, and you have other creators that were of note, you know, George Perez and Todd McFarlane, even like Scott McCloud, who, you know, had just written uh, Understanding Comics, which was huge for a lot of people. But also in the mix was John Bogdanov, who, you know, had been drawing Superman, was a big part of the death of Superman, death and return of Superman storylines. And in his bio, I found this really fascinating. You know, he says he was a lifelong Superman fan and that he actually named his son Kal-El officially. And I I only knew one other person that did that. And that's Nicolas Cage, who was also a big comics fan. You know, Nick Cage came yep. from Luke Cage and he named uh-huh. his kid Kal-El also. But I didn't know there were more than, you know, <laughs> than weird Hollywood celebrities that did that. So also appearing in this section, though, is so funny because they literally say it's listed in order of popularity. <laughs> and so they, they have the A to D lists. Okay, so some of the B listers were like Walter Louise Simonson, writer Mark Wade, Chuck Dixon. Uh, funny enough, Batman artist Mike Manley, he is listed on all of the lists for some reason Uh. (laughs) like he just kept getting duplicated and he was noted to be the co-creator of quote dard hawk not dark hawk (laughs) dard hawk (laughs) this is a pretty great typo steven why don't you read some of the c-listers for us so the c-listers included rick leonardi who did spider-man 2099 joe duffy who was writing catwoman larry stroman and todd johnson promoting tribe and Dwayne mcduffie so some of the d-listers by the way there's marvel editor tom brevoort who is still there i just saw him in one of the disney plus marvel 616 doc documentaries um ultraverse editor-in-chief chris ulm and all the people working on the anaya line of books and now comics a lot of those professionals now um when we posted about this on social media we're going to be talking about the show tonight we were just asking if there's anybody else out there who had attended and recent guest on the wizard files was ryan dunlavy who it was a contributing artist to wizard for many many years and so this is what he had to say he said oh i'm I went to that. I dragged my dad with me on Sunday. We stopped at Kinko's and I ran off 20 copies of my mini comic Vomit Comics to hand out. It was my second big Comic Con and the entire experience was very eye-opening. And then he was looking at the list of different promoters who were on the banner for Comic Fest and he's like, Majestic. I'd totally forgotten about them. Dagger, I remember. Their books were not good. I remember talking to reps at every single one of those companies too about freelance work and almost all of them had a too cool for school air about them and blew me off. Ah, the 90s. And then he finally said, can't remember if they were at this specific show, but the company I always had a positive experience with was Milestone. Always kind and approachable and the first to ever offer me a pro tryout as a colorist. Dark Horse was pretty kind to rookies in the early 90s as well. So we just saw Dwayne McDuffie was on the list, so yeah, maybe he did run into him at this show. I just, I just found that really interesting. You know, a future professional did attend this show as well and tried to make some contacts. Now, one of the things we mentioned up top, Dean, was they said that everybody was getting some sort of like goodie pack just for entering. And I actually, in looking at the video stuff, I saw some promotional items that were like t-shirts and buttons and collector's cups, all with Spider-Man on it that were part of, you know, the official promotion, even though Wizards cover is a Bart series 
Snyder's drawing of Superman holding a flag that is the wizard purple and stars on it. Do you recall getting any swag that you didn't personally have to grab yourself that they just handed you? There was a couple pins, like there was a, I think there was a Harris Comics pin. There was a different DC pins. There was like one pin with the old DC bullet. There was a pin with Nightfall Batman and regular Batman. And I think there was one of Superman. And then there were these tumblers, these cups. One was Wildcats characters on it and Savage Dragon, Shadowhawk. Then the other was Liefeld characters, Youngblood and spawn and it was like with the comic fest 93 on it philadelphia pa logo and they were plastic and i held on to those for a good 15 years whoa in fact i would i was using them to drink out of and (laughs) (laughs) constantly then one day the wildcats one split down the middle and it broke then the youngblood one I was still using that until about, I'd say, about 15 years ago when, after I got married and we moved into our new house and we were cleaning up some stuff and it had broken too. I love that you held on to them that long. That is so great. Yeah. Now, uh, one other thing I saw here, Dee, that I found online was like the event map and schedule of the day that was like basically just a black and white pamphlet, but it had a huge like drawing of Prime on it. And he was all like held by these chains. Does that ring a bell at all? Do you remember yes, seeing that? Yes, I remember that. It was like a standard con pamphlet from what I could tell. And it was interesting just seeing how the thing was laid out. No, it's it's interesting because I was trying to spot some of this stuff. In the, it, there was actually like news footage that somebody had gone and filmed. Like, you know, the, so they were just going to have all the inserts shots for you know the newscasters to talk over so a lot of it is literally just letting the camera run and so i'm watching all these people come down the escalator just as they're letting people in for the convention and first thing you hear this kid goes whoa this is big and then other people muttering like mcfarland we are our mcfarland and there was even somebody who was coming down the stairs and he had a bright yellow Spider-Man hat on it. And I recognized the hat immediately because I got that hat for my 13th birthday. And I was so excited. I was like, I can't believe it. Somebody else had that hat. Because you know, I, I worked for years and years. I actually took a hike up to the super high peak out near Palm Springs called Mount San Jacinto back with my Boy Scout troop. And I wore that hat all the way up and it just got all like, you know, sweat soaked and gross. Like, that that was so memorable to me. But also in attendance at Comic-Con 93 were the hosts of a cable access program that some of you may remember called The Comic Book Show. Now, Dean, I don't know if you watch this, but Stephen and I have been just checking out their footage and old uh, editions of their show, and it is just fantastic. And they got so much mileage out of all the interviews they did at the convention. Stephen, what can you tell us about what you recall from what they reported on well first of all like as soon as i found it i feel like i was bothering you all morning like look at this clip and look at this screenshot and look at this this is like you know a time capsule of when we were reading or when i was reading comic books the most basically you know they have an interview at the wizard booth with joe casada and jimmy palmiotti uh and they talk in great detail about Azrael. there's an interview with mr t 
who's promoting <laughs> his comic book that was drawn by Neil Adams called Mr. T and the T-Force. There's an interview with Jim Shooter, and he talks in detail about his lawsuit with Marvel about Plasm Comics. There's a lengthy interview with Todd McFarlane while he's signing autographs, just like ignoring fans, I guess. And he's wearing a Spawn baseball jersey, uh, which is uh, extra, as the kids say. Yeah, I thought it was funny because they talked to him about Neil Gaiman because Neil Gaiman had just been writing some issues of Spawn and then Angela got created. So eventually they had this huge falling out in a lawsuit. But at this time, he's talking about how, oh, Neil's just so polite. He's too polite. I'm always trying to, you know, have him come out of his shell. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I guess previously Neil had done a Todd McFarlane impression on the comic show. Mm -hmm. And so Todd McFarlane was trying to do a Neil Gaiman impression and he wasn't doing very well. But yeah, that was part of it. They talked to Chris Claremont and Harlan Ellison and Evan Dorkin from Milk and Cheese. And then just like a bunch of comic books that, you know, we've talked about in the Wizards podcast, like including Satan Six. And yeah, and then there's also all these vintage commercials for comic book stores in the Philadelphia area in like 1993. So if you can find this on YouTube, it's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, we'll we'll post a few of them for you guys to see as we uh, release this episode because yeah, I mean it's it's hard to imagine it. Like this was like your public access was podcast before podcast, right? It was like if you could get the equipment and you could put a show together, they would run it. You know, and these guys just go above and beyond. I mean, it's amazing what they were able to put together for this time frame. It's not two chips uh, in a basement of a Davenport, <laughs> as was said in Wade's World. You know, it's not that type of public access. This is like. Like a fully fleshed out program so also as we talk about this event the big thing that wizard was there for right is that they actually wanted to hold the first ever wizard fan awards and they included a ballot for readers in an issue of the magazine so that they could write in their picks for the best of the best in comics of this era that they thought should be considered nominees. And so Wizard actually tallied up the votes from all the submitted ballot forms, and it was then printed in the Souvenir Program Guide. So you have your nominees list. The ceremony was held the night of Saturday, October 9th, 1993. You could actually order advance tickets to the event for $6 or pay $8 at the door. Now, apparently, the spokesmodels presenting the awards were scantily clad according to a female organizer of the event who wrote a blog post that i found about her memories <laughs> and she was talking about how yeah it took many years for the comic industry to grow up out of the infantile fanboy you know attitudes but uh did, did you remember hearing anything about the wizard awards deed was that even on your radar i remember seeing the ballot in the pamphlet that i did and i wanted to fill it out but i didn't do it at that time. I think at that time, oh, that was it. yeah, I, I remember seeing that's about it. I was tempted to put it out and send it and put it in, but no, I didn't get a chance to. Okay, well, no worries, because what we decided to do, we figured there's a lot of people that probably saw it back in the day and said, ah, oh, well, you know, I'm never going to go to this convention. I'll never know about it. So we decided to give everybody a chance to submit your votes at this time. Go back in time, choose your favorites of the industry, and let your voice be heard. And we are going to announce the results tonight. But first of all, we got to give you your nominees. So first up, the category of favorite penciler, we had Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, 
Todd McFarlane, Joe Quesada, and Mark Silvestri. Pretty heavy on the image guys there. <laughs> Joey Q got himself in there, but other than that, it's uh, all image all the time. And I am happy to announce that unanimously in the votes, the win for favorite penciler went to Jim Lee. All right. So for favorite anchor, the nominees were Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Danny Meeky, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Scott Williams. And the winner, again by unanimous vote, was Scott Williams. Yeah, Jim Lee, Scott Williams, they go hand in hand. (laughs) Hard to beat the combo. Uh, And actually, I feel like, doesn't it feel like Scott Williams is next to Jimmy Palmiotti? They're like the two inkers that get the most press, right? Those are the names you think of. At this time, definitely. Next category, favorite cover artist. We know that covers are what we're selling the books. The nominees are Sam Keith, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Dave McKean, and Joe Casada. And your favorite cover artist was Jim Lee. All right. Hard to deny the power. For favorite writer, the nominees are Chris Claremont, Peter David, Neil Gaiman, Frank Miller, and oh my God, <laughs> I always have trouble. Uh, Fabian Messier. Well, he didn't. Well, he didn't win. The winner was Peter David. Hey, he won the debate. He won the award. Good job. Yeah, and he beat some heavy hitters here. For sure. Yeah, to beat Neil Gaiman, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, favorite colorist. We have just three nominees here: Joe Chiodo, Brian Murray. And Steve Olaf. And the winner, Steve Olaf. I, I feel like I should have looked up what work he's done. Does that ring a bell for you, Dean? Do you know Steve yep. Olaf? He, I think he was uh, the colorist on Spawn. Oh, well. Well deserved then, man. Because, woo. Okay, so favorite letterer. That's a hard word to say. Letterer. <laughs> so the, the nominees are Chris Eliopoulos, Mike Heisler, Tom or Zachowski. And the winner is the Greek, Chris Eliopoulos. I'm very hey, happy. Hey, Opa! Yeah, here we go. As a Greek uh, American, very happy for that one. <laughs> and uh, next category, favorite editor. Okay, and so editors had a lot of influence in these days, especially. First up is Karen Berger. She was over the Vertigo line. Bob Harris, who was handling X-Men. And Bob Layton, who was over at Valiant Comics. And wouldn't you know it, Bob Harris wins. The X-Power was strong in these days. So next we have favorite painter. The nominees are Dave Dorman, Joe Jesco, or Nelson. Was Nelson just... Not the band... Not the, the the twin blonde guys, but Nelson, who was at this time promoting a book called Udamon that nobody ever read. Okay. Well, the winner is Joe Jesco. Yeah! Marvel Masterpieces, baby. Everybody had those. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next category, favorite hero. So now we're really getting into it here. What do comics fans think? The nominees were Batman, Spawn, and Spider-Man. With Spawn in the middle and Batman and Spider-Man on either side, that's kind of fitting because he's a combination of both. (laughs) 
but the winner was Spider-Man. Wow. So congratulations, Spidey, to beat out Spawn and Batman during their heyday when, really, I mean, Spider-Man didn't, he had Venom going on in Carnage, but it wasn't like he didn't have a huge story for himself just yet, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's a big that's a big uh, win there. So for favorite heroine, the nominees are Psylocke, Rogue, and Zealot. And the winner was a tie between Rogue and Psylocke. Again, those ex-gals. So, in the event of a tie, Dean, you are going to be our tiebreaker. Who wins, Rogue or Psylocke? I'll go Rogue. Aww. (laughs) There we go. Poor Psylocke. I feel like Psylocke was left in the 90s. I mean, what has (laughs) she done? Is she still big? I think she's in Excalibur now. Oh, okay. I liked her a lot before she had the body switch, that uh, armored suit that she had. I remember her poofy pink shoulders or whatever. You know, she had that like real, yeah. real little blousy thing she used to wear, but I don't remember armor, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was like right after Fall of the Mutants. Uh, now, next up, category of favorite villain, your nominees were Magneto, Master Dark, and The Violator. So, the winner... A unanimous decision, Magneto. Whoa. Ooh, man, those X folks, man. These should just be called the X Awards, I'm telling you. Yeah, so for favorite villainous, the nominees are Angela, Catwoman, or White Queen. And the winner was White Queen. She beat Catwoman? That was really what? surprising to me. All right, next category here, we have favorite supporting cast character, male. Nominees are Jeff the Geomancer, Alfred Pennyworth, and Robin. So, your winner is... Ooh, another tie between Robin and Alfred. It's a battle in the Batcave. Who is walking away the winner, Dean? Oh, man, I'm going to have to say... I'm going to go Alfred. Oh, wow, an upset. (laughs) Age defeats youth. No. (laughs) Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., man, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., Robin's my favorite character ever, but that's fine. (laughs) Hey, we got to have some controversy, you know? (laughs) For favorite supporting cast character female, the nominees are Jubilee, Lois Lane, or Mary Jane Parker Watson. That's a lot to say. And the winner is another tie, but this time between Jubilee and Mary Jane. So, Dean? Okay. At that time, Jubilee was very annoying, but I put... Mary Jane. All right. And uh, getting now into the storytelling of comics, favorite single story. The nominees were Sandman number 50, Spawn number 10, or X Factor number 87. And the winner, X Factor number 87. Now, this is Peter David and Joe Casada teaming up. So they've each already been nominated. One of them won in their category. So it should be no surprise that that book was a winner. I had to look up the issue. I saw the cover and I'm like, oh, I know this one. This is when the team gets psychoanalyzed by Doc Sampson. Oh, okay. That's a really good issue. (laughs) So for favorite story arc, two or more issues. The nominees are Nightfall, Reign of Superman, or Executioner's Song. And the winner 
is Executioner's Song. Now, that one was hard for me to swallow, because my understanding was most people were not super thrilled with the outcome of that story, and, like, Nightfall and Reign of the Supermen were huge. Yeah. So I guess it's just the X-Men, you know, our our people voting were big into X-Men. Fair enough. Next up, favorite cover. The nominees were Deathblow number one with the black shoe polish cover. I'm trying to remember what they called that effect where you just couldn't even see the character except in the right light. Ray number zero. I had Exo Manowar number zero featuring a Joe Casada cover. And the winner is, congratulations, Joe! Exo Manowar number zero. You know wow. I'm happy. Wow. That's a very beautiful cover, though. Yeah, nice wraparound and the chromium and everything, yeah. So, favorite ongoing title. The nominees are Spawn, X-Men, or Wildcats. Can you venture a guess for how this one's going to (laughs) go? The winner is X-Men. Woo! Sorry, Todd and Rob. Now, favorite one-shot or specialty book... The nominees are Batman, Vengeance of Bane, Savage Dragon versus Megaton Man. Come on. And Youngblood Battlezone? Man, people were really... I mean, it just feels like there had to be so many more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's what they went with. But luckily, time has prevailed with the right answer, in my opinion. Congratulations, the winner, Batman, Vengeance of Bane. Woo! Yay! All right, Batman. Uh, favorite miniseries. The nominees are Batman, Sword of Azrael, Death, The High Cost of Living, or Savage Dragon. And the winner is <gasps> a tie between Death, The High Cost of Living, and Batman, Sword of Azrael. So, Dean? Death, The High Cost of Living, because I love Chris Bacalo's art. Nice. And then he went on to do uh, Generation X, right? Yes. Yep. Now we are down to it. The big award of the night. Everybody keep Warren Beatty away from that envelope. Faye Dunaway, don't you touch it. (laughs) All right, that's an old reference at this point now. But we deal in old things here. So the nominees for favorite publisher are DC, Image, Malibu, Marvel, or Valiant. Sorry, Dagger, you didn't make the list. (laughs) And here we go. You can't keep them down. They have the power of the X-Men on their side. Congratulations, Marvel. You are everyone's favorite publisher. And thank you, everybody, for participating and putting in your votes. This was super fun. Again, these are not the results of the time. This is the results of what you now, in retrospect, as readers of comics, thought were the best. Now, Dean, as we get ready to uh, close out here, do you remember, like, your final moments? Do you remember what you did as you were leaving the convention or the feelings you had after that day? I was very happy tired from walking around a lot (laughs) it was just a great wonderful day we had just so much fun walking around we saw the gumby exhibit um, (laughs) which was really really neat it was just complete overwhelmness for a punk kid from some bohunk town in the middle of nowhere practically that went to this thing and just saw all this stuff happening i was on cloud nine the whole way home just got to relive the memories i'd talk about it with my friends at school and then they'd be like whoa that's really fun and 
it just it was just amazing just being there yeah that's awesome now here's the thing right so like, obviously you know you had a great time i'm sure a lot of people really enjoyed this event now at the end of the program there is a promise for bigger and better things there is comic fest 94 in new york to be held at the jacob k javits center in june of 1994 they are also planning a return event in october at the philadelphia civic center once again again but that became the subject of a lawsuit in 1994 as wikipedia reports it the 1994 comic fest was sabotaged when a veteran comic convention promoter held the philadelphia comic book spectacular the same weekend and pulled basically all the talent to his convention and he was sued by the comic fest promoter david greenhill for you know obviously doing this on purpose there's you know, a lot of stuff going on but then we asked the question you know which event did wizard attend they chose the philadelphia comic book spectacular where they held the second annual wizard fan awards apparently garib found the bigger better deal and he went with it so it was kind of a sad end comic fest the fact that you got to attend the first and almost the last deed i mean you were part of a, a very select group yeah i'd do it again if i could in a heartbeat well, thank you again so much for sharing your pictures, sharing your stories, and again, being part of the Wizards universe. We love having all your comments all the time, so it was so great. Uh, but why don't you tell people where they can find you online so they could be in touch and talk comics with you? Well, my Twitter handle is at Revenger Lamar, which is basically Lamar the Revenger. It was uh, my middle name with this other a nickname a buddy of mine gave me and it was like yay i'm on instagram too that's fool lamar revenger one word and that's pretty much all you can find else find me anywhere yeah and, uh, a lot of good people enjoy following your account so we sure everybody else out there would enjoy his commentary and things he shares but uh steven thank you for joining me as well thank you this is a blast and thank you, Dean. It was it was so exciting to hear these stories. I'll forever be jealous of your photo with Vampirella. <laughs> and of course, if you want to stay in touch with Wizards, you will find us on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. Have you checked out YouTube? You really ought to get over to the YouTube channel and check out all the content that we're bringing you there. Again, don't forget, Wizards, the Patreon Guide to Comics is ready to go. You can become a patron and get even more Wizards content. And if you want to sport your uh, Wizards gear, get on over to the T Public store. And we have uh, plenty of different shirt designs, and one of which is kind of outdated now. You know? So maybe it's a collectible. You get it while you can, because we keep updating the show art as we add hosts. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.